everybody. Welcome back to Shannon's Lumber Industry Update. This is episode 29, and today I'm going to take a little bit deeper dive into Janka hardness. It's a very common way for people to look at unknown species of wood, or I should say unfamiliar species of wood, and to determine how is that going to be to work. I think it's probably the technical specification that most people gravitate towards, and they use that to define how hard or how easy a particular species of wood is to work. So I'm going to dive a little bit deeper into the test itself, what it might tell us about the wood species, but more importantly, why it shouldn't be the only determined factor when you look at a species of wood and try to figure out how is it going to be to work. Now, it may be the first place to start, but it shouldn't be the only factor. So that's in store for today's episode. But I do want to say thank you to some of my new patrons and for a lot of you uh, ongoing, recurring patrons, I should say. Thank you so much for continuing to support this show. It means a great deal to me every time I see somebody sign up for a dollar or two dollars, whatever, every little bit helps. So thank you so much. If you are interested in sponsoring this show, you can go to patreon.com slash lumber update. Very, very, very much appreciate it. Thank you all. This week, Brian sent me an email and he pointed out that he was looking at a particular board game and he saw the FSC logo on the board game. And he said, I, I guess they're now in the gaming realm. And this is this is very common. You're going to see the FSC logo showing up on a lot of consumer products because essentially they are paper products and paper products for years have been sporting the FSC logo. Pick up a, you know, a, a notepad and on the back, you're probably going to see that little FSC logo. Pulp plantations were some of the first to jump on board with this. In fact, that industry alone, the paper industry alone, was most likely the catalyst for FSC just because of the sheer volume of acreage that these factories consume. And frankly, from a sustainability perspective, the the way that they raise the trees, the plants to produce their pulp for paper is done explicitly for the production of paper. And it can actually be done quite ecologically if it is gone through an FSC audit. And this is one area where FSC, I think, does a really, really good job. So if you ever are in a store somewhere and you're buying a book or you're buying a board game or something like that, and you see that FSC logo and you go, what? What's the FSC logo doing there? Well, paper, yeah, that probably started the whole thing. So thanks for bringing that to my attention, Brian. Bobby shared an interesting newspaper clipping from... um, Oregon. And there is actually a candidate. You remember a couple episodes ago, I talk about the cross laminated timber plants that have been opening up both in Maine and then in Oregon. Well, there is a local candidate who is running almost entirely on the platform of let's support these CLT uh, manufacturers in order to create more jobs. So the entire platform is, is kind of a jobs platform, but also education, work with the local universities, local colleges, whatever, to continue to build the skill set to help support the CLT industry that is exploding up in that area. So kind of interesting. We are seeing that um, now that they've made the chance to move there. This happens a lot. How are they going to continue to staff those organizations going forward? How is the or excuse me, how is the local government? How is the local community going to rally around this manufacturer and make sure that it's successful, but also makes the whole community successful? So not, I should say, probably not a surprise that you've got a politician that's using this as a campaign platform. So thank you, Bobby. Interesting to, to see that. 
And then finally, Ryan, I want to thank you for pointing out a podcast I was unfamiliar with. It's called the Forest Cast Podcast, and it's actually put out by the U.S. Forest Service. It's really well produced. Like you would think it's an NPR type production, definitely professional level level audio, uh, uh, everything really, really well done. And it's a kind of a shorter format podcast as well, but it's specifically looking at the little beasties, the pests and the blights. And the um, episode on the emerald ash borer was really fascinating. The episode on the gypsy moth was really, really good. Uh, I think I'm maybe four episodes in at this point, but just fantastic. Anybody who's been listening to this podcast and has heard me talk about the bugs and things and, and affecting our trees, this is a must listen to. Really, really well done. Uh, major kudos to the US Forest Service for putting this together. Um, there's a lot of talk of it being a six part series on bugs. I'm not exactly sure if that means when he's done, the whole show is done. I'm hoping that it continues. It's, did I say that? It's really well done. Thank you for sharing that, Ryan. Very, very cool. So let's dive into Janka Hardness, shall we? If you were to Google it, you know, pull up a Wikipedia entry, you'll see that this has been around a long, long time. It's actually attributed to uh, um, a German back in like the mid 1800s. His last name was Janka. That's where it comes from. First thing I should say, and, and many times in the past when I have... Um, talked about it. I've talked about the, at least the imperial units. I keep saying pounds per square inch. That is not at all accurate. And I've had several people write in and say, please stop saying that because it's not right. The units for uh, Janka are pounds force, not pounds per square inch, because the area with which the Janka test is done is determined by the steel ball. That steel ball is a diameter of 0.444 and it's pressed half of its diameter into the wood. So the Janka test itself takes a steel ball that is that approximately half inch diameter and it pushes it a half an inch into the face grain of the wood. And it's important to say that this is not an ingrain test. This is a face grain test. The sample sizes are, um, will vary from, from one to another, but for the most part, it's all about that steel ball and the pounds of force required to push that 0.444 inch ball in is, is what we're getting. So the, the unit is actually pounds force. Over in Europe, you may see newtons or kilonewtons. Again, the numbers will vary, certainly as the units vary, but you'll also find from one source to another, you'll see slight variations in the number. You know, somebody will say walnut is 850. Another will say 912. I've seen 950 sometimes for walnut. I'm not going to get too caught up into those numbers because usually the variance is not dramatic. You know, it's not 2000 or something like that. It's usually within a hundred deviation. And I think that's acceptable. And more than likely, if you were to test one piece of walnut to another piece of walnut, walnut, you're going to find variance in that. So I'm pretty sure that these numbers are, are averages anyway. So don't get too caught up into the minutia there. You're looking at that number as a ballpark. So the number alone tells you a lot. And this is why I say Janka hardness is probably your first stop. If you are looking through, you know, one of those wood identifications books with all the pretty pictures and everything, you're trying to find a wood to build your next project out of. 
oftentimes I will start just by looking at the color. You know, what kind of color paddle am I going for? Availability is certainly uh, a factor. You know, I may find something, ooh, Powell Rosa, that looks gorgeous, but I can't find it anywhere. You know, that's kind of an issue. But the first thing I'm looking at is the Janka hardness number. And especially, I'm a hand tool user. I have a power planer in my shop and that's it. Everything else is done entirely with hand power. So really, really, really hardwoods, often I'm not interested in because that's just a lot like work. But, so it was, so what I'm saying is I will often look at that, that Janka number and say, okay, you know, I love working with cherry. I love working with walnut all about uh, mid 800s to low 900s in, in the Janka number. So I can look at that and say, let's find some other woods around 800, 900, and I'll be happy working those as well. Soft maple is a perfect example of this. So that's kind of the first number that I start with to give me that ballpark. But what I want to talk about today is why that sometimes can lead you astray and why you might be doing yourself a disservice by just looking at the Janka number. There are other things to consider here. And since I I brought up soft maple already, let's talk about that. Let's talk about soft maple and hard maple. Acer rubrum. Uh, soft maple or red maple, acer sacrum, sugar maple, rock maple, hard maple, all pretty much the same thing. Hard maple has a Janka hardness of around 1450, whereas soft maple is about 920 to 950. If you were to look at the trees, the, the boards themselves, you're going to find some difficulty in telling them apart. If you look real close, you can see uh, some variation in the color and red maple, whereas the hard maple is going to appear much, well, see, I want to say much whiter, but it really depends upon the lighting that it's in. They can be hard to tell apart, really. Moreover, when you look at the end grain, you're going to see two species that are diffuse porous in nature with really small pores. Now you're going to find the hard maple, if you've got a good cut, if you've planed the ingrain, you're going to see the medullary rays are a little bit more prominent in hard maple. In fact, they're often quite a bit longer than they are in soft maple, and that is one of the key ways to tell them apart. There are other ways, certainly, but the point being, they are very similar on a lot of levels, except for the fact that one of them is nearly half the hardness of the other one. That steel ball was pressed halfway through its diameter with half the force into the soft maple. So what's the story there? Why why can they look so similar, so same, be the same genus, be the same color almost, and yet one be so dramatically softer than the other? So here's an example where I'm looking for a white wood for my project. Oh, here are the maples. Now, okay, let's look at Janka. Ooh, 1450, that's uh, that's really hard. And I've had trouble with hard maple before. Oh wait, here's soft maple at 850. Ooh. Okay, what what's the what gives there? And this is an example where you gotta dig particularly deep. And it really comes down to the density and the, the weight of the wood itself. That is where that difference comes into play. There is just a the The stuff in between the pores, the cellulose itself, is just less dense than you get in hard maple. And a lot of this, I think, because hard maple or sugar maple, it's named sugar maple because that's what we're making maple syrup from, the resins and all the extractives that come out of the hard maple tree themselves does make the wood just that much harder. There's just more stuff going on there. The red maple or the soft maple, the cellulose tissue is just less dense. There's a little bit more dead air inside there, whereas that hard maple has the resin, this the 
the, the maple syrup that's floating around in there. And as that's dried also, it's going to crystallize and condense and make things just a lot harder. So here's an example where it's the extractive itself, the byproduct of the tree, the maple syrup in this case, that really can be a key differentiator. Now you can really go down a rabbit hole here and you're going to find several other things that distinguish the two of them and make one softer than the other. For the just the average woodworker, if you were to go to someplace like the wood database, you would look them up, kind of pull up two uh, pages side by side, which I'll do that right now. And I'm again, I'm seeing similar appearance here. I'm seeing similar pore size but there's that dramatic difference in Janka hardness. And what it really comes down to here is the density or the specific gravity. In the instance of red maple, we're looking at 0.49. In the instance of hard maple, 0.56. Now that is on 12% moisture content. And that is, I'm sorry, that is um, that number is on a green count. Um, whereas once it's dried, the difference we have is 0.61 for soft maple and 0.71 for hard maple. Now, one-tenth, is that really that big of a deal? Hell yeah, that's a big deal. And there is where your difference in hardness comes from. So starting with Janka hardness will get you there, but then you're going to find these little changes like that density, that specific gravity that really changes the species itself. And if you've ever worked with hard maple and you've worked with soft maple, it's like an entirely different wood, although they look pretty much the same. Now, there's a lot of other stuff that comes out of there, crushing strength and shearing strength and, and, and modulus of rupture and modulus of elasticity. Those differences are, are prominent as well between the two species. But I think what you'll find is those differences are dictated by that density element that we talked about, by the fact that there's more extractive and more just stuff in the fibers than in hard maple than you would find in soft maple. So yeah, it's a subtle thing. So let's look at something that's not quite so subtle. Let's look at white oak and red oak. Now they are a little bit easier to tell apart. You know, it's not, certainly red oak is a little bit redder than white oak. Maybe, <laughs> maybe depends upon what the tree depends on where it grew, but you can look at one over the other and red oak in general just looks to be rougher. It looks to have a more open poured grain. Now, if you look at the end grain, you're going to find very distinct ring porous woods here with big, big pores, really large pores. In fact, red oak is often used as the gold standard for here's what a ring porous tree looks like. If you've ever been through, heck, if you go to any of my demonstrations, like the ones I've done at Woodworking in America, I will often show a picture of an ingrain red oak board because it's a perfect example of ring porous and large pore. Compare that to white oak and you're gonna find that the pores are about the same. But here's the thing, the Janka hardness on red oak is 1220, whereas the Janka hardness on white oak is 1350. So a little bit more than 100 pounds difference there. But I would submit, and some people are probably bound to disagree with me here, but I would submit that white oak is actually easier to work than red oak. Now easier to work doesn't always mean it's softer, right? In fact, some of you have ever worked with really, really soft wood, you'll find that it's a royal pain in the you know what to work. White oak though, just holds together better. It chops better, it cuts better, it shapes better. 
whether you're doing it by hand, you're doing it with a router, you're doing it with a powered saw, doing it with a hand saw, the whole thing just holds together a lot more than red oak. Whereas red oak often tends to be splintery, it, it splits real easily, it can be difficult to get a good finish on. White oak, really not that hard to get a good finish on it. So here again, what's going on? If we're looking at the ingrain, we're seeing you know, about the similar pore distribution and pore size. But one of the key differences you're gonna find with white oak is those pores are not wide open. Those pores are stuffed up with a, a, a substance called tylose, which I often compare it to caulk, like the, the stuff you put around the edge of your bathtub, the waterproofing caulk that goes around the bathtub. And that's really what tylose is, which is why white oak is a great exterior wood species and red oak, not so much. The pores on red oak are huge, wide open, and they will suck the water up inside via capillary action and rot the board from the inside out. Whereas the tylose in the white oak has stoppered up those pores and there is no absorption of water through them. There is a old episode of the Woodwright shop that I love where Roy says the best way to tell the difference is to stick uh, both boards in a cup of water and blow on the end. And sure enough, you blow on the red oak board and you get bubbles coming out the other side because it's like one big long straw. You blow on the white oak board and nothing because that tylose has stoppered everything up. So similar to the hard maple question where you've got an extractive, you've got something else going on in the fibers, the white oak has actually got that tylose that stopper things up and it kind of acts like glue which holds the whole thing together so while your structure is very lattice-like with those huge pores and those definite uh, ring poured structure that makes red oak splintery and easy to split and difficult to finish and just kind of finickier to work it also will account for the slightly lower janka number because there is just more dead air in there and there's more compression as that steel ball is pressed into the face grain, more of that dead air can be taken up. And again, that can also cause that splintering. In the white oak instance, we filled in that dead space of those large pores with the tylose, which has increased the density and increased the hardness a little bit, as I said before, by about 100 pounds. But that tylose has acted as a way to kind of homogenize the entire board. And that's probably the greater difference that you're gonna feel. If you were to blindfold yourself, and I don't recommend doing this, don't blind yourself with chisels. Um, if you blindfold yourself with a chisel and you took a pass on one board and a pass on the other, you would feel the difference transmitted through that chisel, assuming the chisel is sharp. That red oak board, it's going to kind of hop around a little bit more. It's going to stutter as it moves across the surface. Whereas the white oak board, it's going to cut cleanly and smoothly. And you'll find that carving white oak is a totally different experience than red oak. And in this instance, it's actually harder. So unlike the soft maple, hard maple, I love working with soft maple because it is so much softer. White oak is actually harder than red oak, but yet it is easier to work. That more homogenized texture, compare this to genuine mahogany. People love genuine mahogany for carving. Well, why is that? Because it's almost as if there's no grain at all. Basswood is another example of a great carving wood. The pores are so small and they're so diffuse and spread so evenly that you really don't get any kind of variation in the grain and it just carves like butter. 
Now, white oak may not carve exactly like butter, but it's got that similar feel to it because that tylose has glued it all together to create that surface. So here's an example where I'm looking at the color, maybe I'm looking for kind of a brown wood. And okay, now I'm looking at Jenka and I see 1250 versus 1350 or 1220 versus 1350. And I might think, well, let's go with a softer one. That's going to be easier to work. And I'm going to end up disappointing myself because I've just chosen what I feel is the harder wood to work, even though according to the Jenka number, it's softer. So here, again, great first number to look at, but don't let that dictate it because anybody who's worked both species, I think will agree with me that white oak is a much more pleasurable species to work with. So let's take a final example and let's get really exotic. I've stuck with a couple of domestic North American species. Let's go more exotic, but some species that probably some of you have worked with. You can't talk about difficulty in working with and splintering woods without bringing up wingy. Wingy is an African wood. It's very dark, lots of chocolatey brown tones. Although I will say, if you've ever bought wingy for that lovely chocolate brown color, you've been disappointed as soon as you finish it because that chocolate brown goes away and it pretty much turns black. So in a lot of ways, it can be a substitute for ebony because it is a very, very dark color. However, unlike ebony, it has enormous pores. Now, wingate is a diffuse porous wood, so you don't have it organized together in these little growth rings, but the pores are huge, and those pores are not filled with any tylose or anything like that. So Wingay's jank hardness is 1,930 pounds, 1930. So let's just do this. If I go to the wood database, they have this great wood finder thing and there's a series of sliders over on the right where you can kind of dial in the Janka hardness. So what I did is I dialed in uh, a minimum Janka number of 1850 and a maximum Janka number of 2000. So just stayed in that 150 range right around Wingay. And sure enough, I get a lot of species that have dramatically different working properties. So starting with Wingay, it is hard, no doubt, but it's actually not that hard to work with because of the fact that it's got those big open pores, lots of dead air in the wood that does allow for some compressibility as you're chopping, but it also allows for a lot of splintering. Those big wide open pores, they don't have that strong connective tissue in between, and that's why it will splinter so easily on you. It can be difficult to turn it it can be difficult to get fine details as you're turning, or it can be difficult as you're routing an edge or sculpting an edge or something to get sharp, crisp details on a round over or an ovalo because of that splintery nature, because of those big, wide open pores. Finishing can be a little difficult. It's going to suck up the finish real fast because of those big pores, but it's also not going to look as glassy smooth without some kind of pore filler. So yeah, that defines it pretty well. It's not, it's not an evil wood. Um, it does splinter really easily, so I tend to classify it as evil. But let's look at Bacote. So what do we say? Wingay is, uh, what, 1930? Yeah, 1930. Bacote, a little bit harder, 2,010 pounds. But uh, I don't know if you've worked with Bacote before, other than the fact that it smells like gym socks, um, especially when you turn it. It is a totally different experience. It's basically the same hardness, but this again is a diffuse porous wood, but tiny, tiny, tiny little pores, and actually a lot more of them, but really tiny pores, like orders of magnitude smaller than what you would find in Wingay. But it's got that strong light and dark, light and dark, you know, whereas Wingay, it's black and chocolate brown, Bacote is kind of black and mm, like spicy brown mustard. <laughs> 
I, I think I want a brat right now. Spicy brown mustard and, and black as compared to chocolate and black. So very similar in appearance minus that slight color thing, but you'll find that the grain runs very much the same. You look at a face grain and a quarter sawn cuts of each Bacote and Wingé, you'll find they're very, very different. But Bacote, while it's harder, I find Bacote orders of magnitude easier to work because Bacote is incredibly oily. It has a natural luster and it, it looks almost if it was oiled. The sawdust, as you're sawing it, especially with a handsaw, um, you know, smaller RPM where the, the dust is not being kind of atomized into the air, handsaw dust you'll find kind of clumps and it drops straight to the bench top because the dust itself is quite oily and it, it clumps together like that. Well, that oily nature of it will actually lubricate your tools. It also provides, it's it's almost as if it's raised the moisture content. We know that working green wood is a lot easier than working kiln dried wood. So, I mean, this is, this is not moisture in the fact that it's water, but it is an oil, it is a resin, it is an extractive in the wood itself that makes that while slightly, what is it, about 70, 60 pounds harder than Wingay, it is so much easier to work. Now it is hard, there is no doubt it's hard, but it holds details so well. And the difference here really, not only is the oily nature of it, but really the pore size and the pore distribution. Even though those pores are both, even though both species, Wingate and Bacote, are diffuse porous, the size of the pore and the Bacote being so much smaller is really the game changer. And you will find some differences in specific gravity, but not that much. I wanna say, let me just look real quick. Um, 0.72 in the Wingate versus 0.68 in the Bacote. So here, unlike the maple, we can't really look at that density number and see, okay, there's the defining factor. In this case, it's all about the pores, the size of those pores that makes that difference. If you keep going down this route, um, Wingay compared to Zircote. Again, another chocolatey brown and black species. Zircote is fantastic wood to work, totally, totally, interesting face grain. That is 1970 pounds in Janka as compared to 1920 for Wingate. So even closer in the hardness, but dramatically easier to work with. And here in this instance, you're gonna be looking again at a both being diffuse porous woods, but again, Zircote has very, very tiny, tiny pores. But it also has a lot of extractives, a lot of oil and a lot of resin, which creates that cool, variegated looking surface and it is a lot easier to work. Again, very, very hard, but not nearly as brittle as Wingay. And again, it comes down to the, the inner nature of it. Let's cross the pond and, and stay domestic. Looking at Wingay at 1920 hardness, even closer in size is the 1930 pounds of pistachio. And we're talking about the fruit tree, the nut tree grown in California, and well, in the Mediterranean as well. Pistachio has to be one of my favorite woods to work. I wish that you could get this in larger boards, but really it's 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 a nut tree. The tree is grown for the fruit that it creates, not really as a lumber tree. Usually when I've gotten my hands on it, it's for turning blanks. Occasionally I've gotten very small boards that you can use for accents, but man, this stuff is wonderful to work. Now think about the pistachio nut. Think about any nut tree. What do nut trees have very commonly is very high oil count. The pistachio 
tree, the pistachio board, even though it has the same, actually harder uh, pounds um, in Janka than Winge by 10 pounds, it feels like it's half as soft. It is so easy to work. Now, here again, major difference in, in the pore structure. What's interesting is pistachio is actually a ring porous wood but it's got tiny little pores. So generally when you see a ring porous wood, when the pores are ordered in those neat rings, you find that the wood splits really, really well. I don't find that with pistachio. Like the bacote, the sawdust is so oily that it kind of clumps together. The whole thing is super easy to hand plane. It's super easy to finish because it's already got a coat of oil kind of naturally in the stuff. And that oily nature of it really makes it a super, super easy wood to work. So here again, we're looking at the same, practically the same Janka hardness number, 1930 in pistachio, 1920 in winge, but totally different work, workability nature of pistachio. Super easy to work with. If you ever get your hands on it, if you can find it, grab it. Stuff is wonderful. Smells fantastic while you're working it too, by the way. So you know, this is this is a kind of a surface level dive into into Janka. You could probably go a lot further, but I think you get the point. It's a good first place to start. It gives you a ballpark idea of how hard is this wood, but you've got to look a little bit deeper. And what I find more than anything is you got to be careful not to discount other wood species because holy crap, look at that Janka number. I don't want to touch that because you'll find gems like pistachio that have really, really high Janka numbers, but work like cherry. Um, fantastic stuff out there. So don't sell yourself short just by leaning on the Janka number, but use it as a good place to start. So I hope that's a, a, a closer look at Janka than what I talked about in my general technical properties episode. I'll do this in the future because there's some other technical properties that I think we need to look a little bit closer at. Anybody say shearing strength? Stay tuned for a future episode for that one, guys. And as I say every week, go buy some wood, but more importantly, go buy some pistachio wood.